Well, all right, welcome to Blackhawk Church, everyone. My name is Matt, I'm one of the pastors on staff. Welcome to all of you live in the room, and would you join me in welcoming everybody who is joining us right now online and at our different sites and venues. We're so glad that you are all with us. This is a chance for us to be one church in a lot of different locations. And right now, we are in the middle of this series where we are going through the book of Acts, a series called Empowered for Mission, where we have been really taking a look at the, the inception and the growth that took place in the early church, all that took place around that through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's been really fun to be able to take a look at that. You might remember um, a few weeks back where I talked about that the church was kind of like a, a baby tree, just a small little sapling of a tree that's beginning to grow and how the Holy Spirit was pouring out on it and protecting it in this process. But then the church very quickly, as we've seen, had grown from this small group of like 120 or so people to now a church of, of thousands. I mean, we could easily say that the tree has been growing and there's lots that has been taking place kind of in the process of seeing this thing grow. We have seen the way that God has been moving and, uh, and rapidly. And then last week, Charles was really talking about due to everything with that growth within the church, it was growing to such a level there actually had to be another level of leadership even that was put into the church to help with the distribution of food and different things that were going on. And so we shared about seven people who were brought into uh, the leadership of the church. And today, we're actually going to talk about one of those particular people who was put into a leadership position that way. We're gonna talk about a man named Stephen. Now, before we get to Stephen's story, though, I gotta tell you this. We have a lot to cover today. We have bitten off really more than we can chew altogether. I mean, okay, can I just be honest with you? Last week, Charles, it was an amazing message. You need to go back and listen to it. It was really incredible if you haven't heard it. But he covered, you know, seven verses of scripture altogether. Acts chapter six, verses one through seven. That's great. Now next week, Charles is gonna talk about Acts chapter eight. And he's dealing with four verses of scripture. Okay, seven verses, four verses. This week, I'm supposed to cover 68 verses of scripture altogether. Everything in between there. Thank you very much, Charles You, Yes, really appreciate that. So, but really in reality, there is so much of this story, we really couldn't cut anything out. And then on top of that, 68 verses of scripture, we're also talking today about the subject of martyrdom. Okay, like if you're new to Blackhawk Church, welcome to Blackhawk Church. We're talking about martyrdom today, you know? But here's the thing. It's important for us to take a look at subjects like this, even that are hard for us to completely wrap our minds around. Even that for many of us, Living here in the United States, it's hard for us to completely understand. And as we get into this story of, of martyrdom and take a look at that idea, we're actually going to take a look at the way that this particular situation, the way that it affects this growing tree. It is going to have massive impact on everything that has been happening from going from this baby tree to now this larger tree. We're going to see something take place. And I think is unbelievable 
And uh, so that's where we're headed today. So in light of that, if you brought your Bibles or if you pull up your Bible on your smartphone, we're going to start with Acts chapter 6 right now. Acts chapter 6, starting with verse 8. Let's dive into this. Now, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from the members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene, Alexandria, as well as provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Okay, so we are we are told about this man named Stephen. We're told just a very little bit of his story in Acts chapter six, verses one through seven. We get more of an idea of his story as we get into this. And we realize that Stephen was one of these leaders in the church, but he's actually been blessed by God with the ability to perform miracles. Now, he is the only one scripture talks about who has this ability other than the original apostles. And, and, and that causes opposition really within the early Jewish synagogue, these people who did not believe in Jesus, these church leaders who were coming up against Stephen. But the other thing the Holy Spirit gave him was the ability to be incredibly articulate in the way that he could share the message of Jesus and really out-argue any of these leaders. And so these leaders, well, seeing that they can't out-argue Stephen, they take matters into their own hands. And that's where we pick up things with verse 11. Let's go there. Then they, that is these religious leaders from the synagogue of freedmen, they secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people. And the elders and the teachers of the law, they seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin back then, was, it was kind of like the, the Jewish Supreme Court of the day. So they seized him, brought him before the Sanhedrin. They, they produced false witnesses who testified. This fellow never stopped speaking against the holy place, that is the temple, and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down. Okay, what's taking place? So these godly synagogue leaders, they're lying against Stephen, and they bring these false claims against him, and they rile up a crowd so that he's brought, between, brought really in front of the, the Jewish Supreme Court of the day. And at the very beginning of chapter seven, the, the high priest stands up in this moment, and ask Stephen to defend himself if these claims that they are making are true or not. <laughs> and then Stephen does something really amazing. He starts into, well, this, this defense, but really he, he starts giving a sermon here that lasts about 50 verses of scripture. I mean, and it's incredible. Now, for the sake of time, we're not going to read it. But I encourage you later to take a read it. It's basically like a history lesson of the Old Testament. I mean, he's it's kind of like if you, this kind of dates me, a Cliff Notes version of the, uh, of the Old Testament that he does here in this moment. And uh, it's incredible seeing the way he does this as he walks through the story of Abraham all the way to Joseph and then to Moses, and then David, and then Solomon, and lays all of this out. But it's interesting what he's doing as he lays all of this out. Because what he's actually doing in this moment, he's not just giving a history lesson. He's actually creating a defense 
for himself, giving a picture of way the people of Israel have always been with the leaders that God has placed and the prophets that he has brought. And then finally, after this 50-verse sermon, he just lays his cards on the table in verse 51 of chapter 7. And that's where we're going to pick things up. He says this. Okay, remember, this is the Jewish Supreme Court he's speaking to. You stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You were just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. <laughs> he, he comes strong in this moment, wouldn't you say? He comes strong. He's saying, look, you stiff-necked people, you, your people in the past have always missed the work of the Holy Spirit, and guess what? You are missing it now as you see what he is doing. And on top of that, you're the people who, you've always persecuted your prophets. Sure, later on you build monuments to them, but you've persecuted them in the past in the same way that you persecuted and killed Jesus. You persecuted and killed the Son of God, just as you've done with the prophets of old. <laughs> well, naturally, this doesn't go over all that well. And, uh, and so we begin to see now the way that this group of people respond. And this is where the story turns and gets dark. Verse 54. When the members of Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord, receive my spirit. He fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. <laughs> the, the crowd rushes at him and they, and they pull him out of town and, and they stone him. I mean, really, what takes place, they, they illegally pull him out of town. They're supposed to get the approval of the Roman government for anything like this that takes place, but no, they take matters into their own hands. They take him out of town, and they kill him. It was like a lynching that was taking place in this moment. That's really what was happening, and Stephen lost his life. The interesting thing also that happens in this passage of Scripture is right in the middle, it can be really easy to, to miss this. We are actually introduced to a character of scripture that's going to be incredibly instrumental, really through the rest of the story of Acts and really through the rest of the New Testament. We are introduced to a person named Saul. And if you grew up around the church, most likely your antenna goes up as soon as you hear that 
name. But I look, around Blackhawk, within our culture, with who our church is, we have a lot of people who are new to the faith and still learning the stories of scripture. And so if you're in that camp and don't know these stories, we're so glad you're here. You don't ever have to be embarrassed about not knowing some of these things. But to give you an idea, this person, Saul, becomes one of the main persecutors of the church. But then, very quickly, we'll see as we continue in the story, has an encounter with Jesus that radically transforms his life. Jesus changes his name to Paul, and he goes from being one of the biggest persecutors of the church to becoming one of the biggest advocates and supporters of the church, one of the largest leaders in the church, literally writing close to half of the books of the New Testament by the time that everything is finished. But right now in this moment, yeah, he is standing and working coat check for this moment as all of these people come to take Stephen's life. And Stephen becomes the first Christian martyr. That's the end of that story. So here's the thing. I think it's worth it for us to ask, what for a church here, vast majority of us in the United States, in Wisconsin, in 2021, what are we supposed to pull from a story like this? What do we learn? Well, some of the things that we learn actually really have to do with the hallmarks of, of Christian martyrdom, of really what Christian martyrdom looks like altogether. Uh, one of the hallmarks of Christian martyrdom is that it, it it comes from testifying to the gospel of Jesus. That's really what Christian martyrdom is. Martyrdom comes from testifying to the gospel of Jesus. Now, you might look at that and go, well, obviously, you know, like, duh. But here's the thing. In a, in a day and age that we live in, it can be very easy for us to be able to look at martyrdom and to get caught onto all sorts of belief systems that we have or all kinds of ideologies that we are passionate about and to somehow tack those on. No, 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 this is different than that. Christian martyrdom is a person who comes to the place where they lose their life because of their faith in Jesus. You see, it's important when we think of the concept of, of, of martyrdom altogether to kind of realize where this lands on the spectrum of, of persecution altogether. You know, as we've talked about the, the growing of the tree and everything that's taken place as we've gone through the book of Acts, one of the things that we've seen in the book of Acts that has taken place as well is that persecution for Christians has been growing all through this time. You know, as the church has been growing, all of a sudden we have seen Christians who have been arrested or thrown in prison for their faith, or even beaten for their faith. But now, all of a sudden, we see someone who has lost their life. If we were to look at persecution as a whole and kind of try to wrap our mind around it, we could put it on a spectrum. Of everything, if we look at kind of over on the left side here, we could kind of call the far extreme on the left side sort of like discomfort. Discomfort uh, is sort of, for us in the United States, thus uh, us living here, for the vast majority of us, this is about the worst that it gets for us. It's, it, it could be being, being ridiculed or stereotyped or looked down on or made fun of for our faith, for our belief in Jesus or any time that we share that message with other people. We could feel uncomfortable or be made to feel uncomfortable because of the way that people react and respond to us. That, that could be one side of persecution. Then all the way to the other side, we would talk about death. 
People who lose their lives because of their faith. That's kind of the, the spectrum of persecution. Now, a couple weeks ago, uh, Pastor Ben Knox gave a message on persecution. It was an incredible message. If you haven't had a chance to be able to hear it, you need to go listen to it. And he talked about most of everything on this side of the level of persecution. What we're talking about today, though, is the far extreme right of people who live in fear because of their faith in Jesus and people who end up losing their lives because of their faith in Jesus. That's what we see take place with Stephen. That's one of the hallmarks of Christian martyrdom. The other thing too that we see with it is that Christian martyrdom is marked by love and forgiveness. In other words, it's not marked by hatred. Look, look, wanting to kill your enemies and losing your life in the process like that of like a suicide bomber or something like that is not Christian martyrdom. What do we see in the life of Stephen? Well, as he is being stoned, he prays for those who are taking his life. Father, don't hold this against them. Really, he's exemplifying what he had seen just a few months earlier when Jesus went to his death and as he was being crucified, prayed for those who were taking his life, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. In fact, within that, this is exactly what Jesus had been teaching his entire life. So in Matthew chapter five, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is the one who said, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This is a part of the story of of Jesus. This is the way that things worked. So that kind of gives us an idea of of Christian martyrdom as as a whole. Okay, but how does it affect us? Like, what are we supposed to do with it? Why do we need to understand that? Well, because in reality, martyrdom, losing our life for our faith, It's actually, as as Christians, as Christ followers, it's part of our DNA. Like Stephen was the first Christian martyr, but he was far from the last. And as we continue on in the book of Acts, we're going to see stories of all kinds of the different apostles. If you look through Christian history, all kinds of the apostles who lost their lives. People all over the early Christian church who lost their lives because of their faith in Jesus, refusing to renounce that, continuing to share that message. People were losing their lives all over the place. It was part of the DNA of the church. And those are the shoulders of the people who we stand upon that is Christ followers. We're to be people who are willing to lose our lives, if need be, for the faith that we have in Jesus and the message that he gives of love and grace and mercy and forgiveness through his son, Jesus, that we would be people who are willing to lose our lives. And, and, and the thing is, is that we can easily look at that and say, yeah, that all happened way back a long time ago. But the other thing to realize is that <laughs> it still happens today. That there are all kinds of places in the world where people still live in fear that they potentially could lose their lives because of their faith in Jesus and sharing that message. And it could be really easy for us to stand back and say, those are people in other places and we never hear about them out of sight, out of mind, and to never really give them a thought. But the reality is, I, I, I don't know if you realize this, there are, there are people who call Black Hawk Church their home, people who are a part of our community 
who are here because they have fled the countries that they called home because of death threats that they were receiving because of sharing their faith in Jesus. People who are part of our church. There are people who are part of our church who are from other countries who have come here and heard the story of Jesus and placed their faith in him. And because of that, now they fear going home to their countries because of what could potentially happen to them when their friends and their families find out. There are, there are global, global partners who we have, who we are in relationship with and we support that we can't talk about around here very much because of the ways that they're sharing their faith in their countries and the danger that might be in store for them if people knew everything that they were doing. Like, I'm just telling you these stories. If you call Black Hawk Church your home, the reality of this kind of martyrdom, it's closer than you think. You know, the interesting thing is today, actually November 7th, is, uh, is the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. Churches all around the world who are taking time to be able to pray for the persecuted church. And, and as one of the pastors and people on the teaching team, I'd love to be able to tell you, and we knew that, and that's the reason why we did this message today. Yeah, no, we got lucky. So it literally just happened. God had bigger plans for us than we had realized. But today is that day, an opportunity for us to be able to hear the stories of people and to be able to understand more of what really goes on in light of that. Take a look at the screens for just a moment. الصلاة أحلى حاجة في دنيتي أحلى حاجة في دنيتي الصلاة إحنا مالناش غير الصلاة I'm here in Egypt, home of the Great Pyramids right behind me, the Nile River, beautiful bazaars and markets. It is beautiful. Throughout Scripture, Egypt has always been a place of both danger and refuge for God's people. Looking back in the Bible, remember Joseph found favor with God while he was still in prison on his way to becoming a leader of Egypt. We know Moses followed God as he led the people of Israel out of slavery. And then Mary and Joseph fled to Egypt with Jesus to escape the decrees of a murderous king. Today, God is still strengthening his people in Egypt, even as it ranks number 16 on the world watch list of most dangerous countries in the world for Christians. Today, believers here face the looming threats of Islamic extremism, they also face daily discrimination for their faith, whether it's in their communities, in their jobs, in their schools, and sometimes even in their homes. We live in a culture that does not accept our faith because they don't know, they don't understand. So because of that mixed up mindset, because of that distorted image of Christian faith, uh, many Muslims, they, they look to Christians as infidels. But even in the face of this extreme persecution, they have a powerful source of God's strength, and that's your prayers. Throughout scripture, God has delivered his people through what seems almost impossible odds. When you pray for your persecuted family, both here in Egypt and around the world, you remind them that God still does that today. He's still our deliverer. 
بنصلي طبعا احنا واثقين ان ربنا موجود واحنا بنصلي ودايما معانا طبعا وفي الظروف اللي احنا فيها ديت When I share that Christians around the world are praying for the Christians in Egypt, it's a refreshing news. There is a wider family of God that is checking on us, supporting us, praying for us. We do not stand alone. I want to encourage you and challenge you to make the persecuted church part of your everyday prayer life. I think it will deepen your faith and will encourage you in ways you never dreamed of, all the while strengthening your persecuted brothers and sisters in their faith. Because we are one church and one family. Those stories of Egypt, with Egypt being number 16, on the world watch list. In other words, there are a whole bunch of countries where it's way worse. You know what it does for me when I hear stories like that? It, it bolsters my courage because it causes me to realize that if there are people on, on the spectrum of persecution who, who live in a place where they fear for their lives and are yet continually willing to stand for and continue to share the message of Jesus with other people, fearing that they could lose their lives. It gives me the strength and courage on the other end of the spectrum to be able to be a person who is willing to share the message of Jesus with people, even though I might deal with ridicule, people making fun of me, being labeled or stereotyped a, a particular way. It gives me courage to be able to do that to be able to stand that way. Because what we see happen, it's amazing to hear the stories of people and to realize that they are saying, no, what, what people did in order to weaken our faith, it actually has strengthened our faith in God. Really, and this is exactly what we saw take place in the story of, of Stephen. You know, that day when, when he was, was killed really in the midst of that situation, um, it could easily be looked at that the church was about to implode. The little, the little baby tree that had grown, yeah, it was about to be destroyed. And the church was about to implode upon itself. We'll see as we continue in the story that a great persecution breaks out among the church. And Christians, they scatter everywhere. But you know what took place in that moment was as Christians began to scatter and to move throughout the entire known world was that the message of Jesus went everywhere. It was like this tree went from a growing tree now to its seeds going everywhere. People's lives being transformed. This is the day that the one tree started to become a forest where all of a sudden now, new groupings of people from every tribe, tongue, and nation who were understanding it, hearing the message of Jesus and giving their lives to him, their lives being transformed by the message of grace in Jesus. And it began to change the world. It was amazing to see what took place because God is a God who longs to redeem. He takes the ugly situations of like what took place with Stephen and he uses them in order to move the gospel forward in the lives of other people. So today is the International Day of Prayer 
for the persecuted church. So what we have done in this service is we have carved out some time for us to be able to pray together. So here's what I wanna encourage you to do. One is this week, I wanna encourage you to take some time to learn. We have put up on our website some different resources that you can take a look at that, uh, man, will help you to learn, including the World Watch List. You can go on that list and click on any country. It will tell you stories as well as ways to be able to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. There's all sorts of information. There is also a, a list that you can sign up for to get prayer requests for our global servants to know how to be able to pray for them on a regular basis. Take some time to learn and understand. And then also, we wanna encourage you to pray. And that's what we are going to do now. We're gonna take some time to be able to pray as a church together for our brothers and sisters in Christ worldwide. And so in just a second, I'm gonna hand off to, to our downtown venue and your leadership and to Fitchburg and your leadership and to Gospel Fusion. And then all of us here in the room, along with everyone online in our traditions venue, we're gonna continue to stay together and take some time to be able to pray for these people. But as we begin that, let me take a moment to pray for us now. Pray, would you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you so much that you are a God who is able to work in ways that we can't understand or imagine and that you are the great redeemer. And in the midst of stories like what we read from Stephen that could come across as so unbelievably dark, God, you are the one who works these things for good in order for your message to be able to go out greater in the world. God, we pray that you would continue to give us courage, that we would be people with the courage to stand not that we would bolster up on our rights, but that we would be people willing to lay down our lives and love and forgive those who persecute us. God, we pray for our brothers and sisters worldwide, that you would continue to strengthen them. Thank you, Father. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.